Welcome back to Unbreakable Latina. This is your host, Melina. I hope you're having a great day. I am feeling so much better. I think I'm fully recovered from COVID. I'm ready to go back to work. I know. I can't believe I'm saying that, but I actually miss going to the office. I miss my coworkers and just interacting with the humans. Um, I've been at home for two weeks too long and well, not the whole time, but you guys get what I mean. Like I haven't actually gone to my job and I haven't gone to the gym and I just feel like I need to get back to it. Um, today is actually Sunday, July 10th, which is my little sister's birthday. So happy birthday, Roxy. I love you so much. I'm so proud of you. I'm proud of the woman that you have become. Thank you for being my automatic little bestie and also for always pushing me out of my comfort zone because if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have experienced so many things like going snowboarding, doing crazy shit because you are a little crazy one. So yesterday we actually went to celebrate my little sister's birthday in Catalina Island. It was supposed to be a whole family trip, but little by little, people kept dropping because people are getting sick. Thankfully, everyone's okay, but it sucked that not everybody could have gone, but we still made the best out of it. Like my aunt said, it was a fabulous sick, so it was my sister her boyfriend my uncle my aunt my mom and i and it was so much fun it was such a relaxing day i got super tanned um, we had some drinks we had food but it wasn't that great we were literally just living off fries and drinks that's it the beach was beautiful oh my gosh so we went on this ferry from newport to Catalina island and i've been on it before but this one was rocky and people were getting seasick and I I took some motion sickness pills just in case but towards like almost getting to the island on our way there I started feeling a little woozy and I was like oh my gosh so I just kept trying to um not think about it but people looked so sick and it was crazy our way back was smooth if you haven't gone to Catalina Island I suggest you go I feel like it's like a perfect date to go to like if you don't want to go too far and you could come back on the same day or you could get a hotel and stay over there. It's so beautiful. It feels like you're in a different country. That's how beautiful it is. Since I've been home for the last two weeks and I haven't been to my job, I've been spending a lot of time, first of all, recovering from COVID and second of all, um, creating a lot of content and just being very active on social media and engaging with followers and listeners and I am so proud of myself and I just reached 10,000 followers on Instagram about two days ago, I think, and I can't even believe it, but it's real. I did it and I still can't believe it. I'm like in shock. I want to thank every one of you that follows me on Instagram, follows me on TikTok, follows the podcast, subscribes. It means so much to me that like you guys don't even know because 
when I started this, I didn't know that it was going to turn into this. I wanted it to eventually, but I didn't think I was going to achieve this so soon. But I'm so proud of myself and I want to thank you guys for continuing to support the podcast. There is so much happening and I was telling my mom the other day that I feel like I don't even accomplish anything in a day. And she's like, what are you talking about? You are always doing something. And I'm like, yeah, but it just feels like it's not enough. And then she's like, it's not that you are not doing enough. It's that you don't have enough time to do everything that you want to do. And she left me speechless because she's so right. Like, that is the truth. It's just I don't have enough hours in a day to accomplish all the things that I want to accomplish. But anyways, all the hard work is paying off and you guys are amazing. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for your messages. I try to get to them as much as I can. Thank you for your emails. I know that I haven't responded to a lot of emails and a lot of messages, but I'm trying. I make it a goal to at least respond to like two or three when I have time and then I get behind again but the reason that it takes me so long is because I actually want to read the whole message and I want to respond to you, so bear with me. Hey guys, I just want to take a quick little break to let you guys know that I have partnered up with Amazon Music. Amazon Music is giving my listeners a 30-day free trial. You can get yours today by going to getamazonmusic.com slash unbreakablelatina. Once again, that's getamazonmusic.com dot com slash unbreakable latina i will link it in the show notes this week's episode i thought was gonna be done ready to go up and i wasn't really gonna have to spend any time on sunday working on it but boy was i wrong um i was having some audio issues on my end my brother and i recorded like three days ago i think wednesday or thursday i can't remember but i was like oh it was simple everything was like straightforward and there's not going to be a lot of editing to do, but today as I was editing it and getting it ready, there was a lot of issues with my audio, so I had to fix that, and it took me forever, and now it's about 7 o'clock, and I've been doing this like since 12, so it's a lot of work, but it's worth it. I am so happy for you guys to hear my brother's story. My brother has always been one of my role models because he's faced so many obstacles in his life. I mean, you guys know kind of my family background a little bit if you listen to previous episodes, but my brother was the firstborn. He he is the oldest. He was the first to go to college, and you're going to hear his story today. We talk about his college experience, and it's a pretty long episode where he goes really deep into how he struggled being a college student and getting to where he is at today after we discuss his whole journey his college journey we talk about machismo the relationship with my dad his mental health and so much more i hope you guys enjoyed today's episode here's my brother william hey william hi thank you for having me let the people know how old you are um where did you go to school? What did you do for work? I'm 38 years old. I graduated from Cal State Fullerton uh, with a degree in radio TV film. That was uh, part of the communications program. And I work in the entertainment industry in uh, post-production. And how long have you been in this industry? 
Uh, I'm terrible with dates, but I think I started when I was around 25, 26. Um, yeah. That's a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. It, that doesn't help me in nailing down the dates. <laughs> what made you choose that major? Um, actually, um, I changed my major, I think it was three times. Uh, originally, when I went to college, I started college um, in UC Santa Cruz. So uh, when I was in high school, you could apply to a UC program and they would allow you to apply up to four schools. So I applied to UCLA, UC Irvine, UC Santa Cruz, and UC Davis. I was really hoping to get into uh, UC, UCLA or UC Irvine because they were closer. So when you applied, did you know where to start? Because you were the first to go to college. And I believe you were the first in our whole family or on both sides, right? Um, I think it was a tie between me and my cousin Paola. I think we graduated around the same time. Oh, yeah. The yeah. same year. Did you... Did you know that you wanted to go to college since you were a kid or it was it something that like when did you discover that you wanted to go to college? I I think it was just instilled in me not like through family but through school like um ever since I was in in elementary school um I think it started in 3rd grade I was like recognized as like a what they had called the gifted program at that time so like kids <laughs> yeah. that were you know, performing better Smart. than others. Uh, yeah. So, um, so I was in programs like that through middle school and through high school as well. In high school, I took like AP classes and all that kind of stuff. So um, a lot of those classes and the teachers in them and the programs that were aligned with them all stressed, you know, you got to get into college, you got to submit your applications. If you do AP classes, you'll get credit um, for college courses. So um, I always knew I wanted to go and, you know, all my peer group and my friends, um, they, they were all pretty much on the same course. It was just a question of like where I was going to end up. But I pretty much depended really on like school counselors and, and teachers to help guide me through that whole process because I wouldn't even, you know, I, I wouldn't have leaned on my parents and I didn't during that time. I just kind of let them know what was going on at school. But did, I know mom for me would always tell me to go to college. I don't know if it's because you went to college. So then that was instilled in me. Or did mom ever talk to you about college? Or it was kind of like you already like it was something that you mutually knew that you were going to do. I'm like, I have such a terrible memory, but I, I, I think it was something <laughs> it, was, it was something that we kind of mutually knew um, through through that time. I think mom had mentioned that one of your teachers told her, like, you need to tell him to go to school because he's really smart. Well, that's really nice, but I, <laughs> I don't remember any of that. But I do remember my mom, like anytime there was a teacher's conference, any of those types of events, she would always show up and she would always talk to the teachers. And my mom, you know, she speaks decent enough English. Um, and now it's kind of, I think more of her primary language just because she's you know speaks it at work so much yeah but um she was always there and she would always um you know check up on me and, and make sure that i was getting good grades and i remember showing her my 
my report cards and letting her know like what I was up to. So, you know, my mom always kept tabs on me for sure. So you applied to all the UCs that you mentioned and which ones did you get into? That was a sad part. So um, I wanted to get into UCLA, but I knew that was a long shot because um, there was, uh, I think it was my my junior year. There I was a year that you did bad, right? Yeah, I did really bad. Um, I was suffering from depression that year and I, it was struggling really hard. So uh, UCLA was a long shot, but I thought I would get into UC Irvine and I hope I hope to get there. Even though I don't know much about it, I just knew it was close and i knew they had like decent ratings um and then the other two i just i literally like just guessed like i asked one of my teachers he's like hey i gotta i gotta choose four what are the other two i should choose and he's like well davis and um and santa cruz are pretty good and those are upstate in california and i didn't realize how upstate they were (laughs) (laughs) i remember when we took you so you ended up choosing i ended up using uh choosing uh uc santa cruz and i had a couple of i knew a couple people from my class that ended up going to davis um but everybody referred to it as like cow town because of all the farmland around there and all the cows that they raise oh cow town i think you said cow town (laughs) no so so you didn't want to move to the farm so then you were just like let me go to uc santa cruz so I, i i went to uc santa cruz and i didn't know much about it and it turns out to be like in a really remote area on a mountain, super secluded. Uh, I didn't really <laughs> know. boy in the woods. <laughs> exactly. I didn't really know what I was getting into when, when I actually signed up to go there. Did you go tour the school before you actually went there? You didn't, right? No. Like. Um, so you just like went. Yeah, I got accepted. Um, I had, I got some money, I think through the Pell grant and the Cal grant, and then the rest, I signed up for a student loan. And then, um, my parents had to pay like a small portion of it. I remember driving you up. How did you feel like the first day that you actually saw the campus and you're already with all your belongings ready to move in? Like, was it like, whoa, what did I do? Or were you excited? It was neither. Uh, it was really strange. Um, I'm, I, I realize now later in life that like when certain events happen to me, it takes a while for them to kind of like settle in and for me to like register what's going on. So it, it was just kind of weird. It was we went up. I remember, you know, I, I know you've spoken extensively about my father in your podcast. And, and so your um, listeners are familiar with that. But for me, um i remember like getting into college and being excited and then telling my dad he was gonna have to pay like i think it was like two grand or something for for like you know um whatever fees to to start school need to cover right and he looked at me like i was crazy and i was like i just got into college shouldn't you like be excited and i knew he you know he had the savings because i don't know he how had but the I, money. he was just a colo. <laughs> exactly and he was looking at me all strange and like driving me up there was like another burden um you know so just that all felt strange and that was one of the primary reasons why um why i i decided going up 
there, you know, um, just to get away from everybody. And then when you got there, like, how was your first day? Did you feel out of place? Did you feel like lost being a city boy and then going into the woods? Because I remember it was literally like deer everywhere. We didn't live in anything like that. Like, I mean, if we were to go from Fontana when we used to live there to the woods, it wouldn't be such a difference. But where we used to live in L.A. was like city walk everywhere and everything was so close by. But then going there, what's that a culture shock for you? Total culture shock. Um like the the campus is really unique because it's spread amongst like different colleges, you know, in in a normal college, like let's say UCLA, you can walk around there, you know, there's one building, another building. This was literally like there was a road in between all the colleges. It was really hilly. Um, and each college kind of had its own little unique culture within it. Um, so yeah, I had never been it, I was like living in the woods in college. It was it was really strange. And um, the people, there was a lot of people from Northern California. And, you know, being from L.A., normally I was used to, like, keeping to myself and only, like, speaking up when I needed to. And I found myself in a culture where people are like, hey, how's it going? And I'm like, are you talking to me? Like, <laughs> like, me. like a weird stranger. Um, I'm like, all right. Stranger so, <laughs> not that. Just I was like, it was just strange for random people to be so friendly and just wanting to strike up a random conversation. You know, I had a really small, close knit uh, group of friends in high school, which I still have to this day. Um, so, 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 so that was a, a huge culture shock to me, and it it took me a while to get adjusted. You said you changed your major a couple of times. What was your initial major that you started with? I started off being a psych major. And that was the reason I chose it was because um, the what was it like the AVID program told us like you would be a stronger candidate if you select a major. So even if you're not sure, just choose one. So I was like, oh, well, I think I like psychology, so I'll go ahead and choose that. So I, that's what I declared. And when I had my first like course related to my major, which was uh, some biochems course, I quickly realized that I had no inkling of wanting to follow through in, in being a psych major. I thought it was more about people and things, but it, it had a lot to do with chemistry and understanding how the brain functions. And I hated chemistry. I, so I knew that wasn't going to be a fit. Science is the worst. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, it was eye-opening. And I think one of the other things that really shocked me was, you know, we didn't go to like a private school or even great schools. Um, the school I went to was in a small city called Bell High. Um, you know, we had good teachers, but I didn't realize a lot of like my peers in college had read like certain books that I never heard of. Um, had like they could write five, six page papers like you know nothing whereas for me that took a lot of effort and going back and forth and editing so that was a huge shock to me like the the pace of things was so much faster and that was something that i had to learn and i really struggled with that first year but then i you know oh as time went on like my first semester i did okay my second semester not as great but i was getting by my third semester i was homesick i realized that like the the one common thread that was like help help me kind of get through high school was like my my friend group and they were nowhere near 
me, right? And they, they were all doing their own thing and going to school, working jobs, whatever. So you're there, you realize that this might not be a fit for you. Were you afraid of admitting that? Were you ashamed? Did you tell anybody? Well, on one visit, my friends came up to visit me. And um, that's when I kind of like let them know what was going on. But um, I think my mom could sense it a bit, but I never like outright told her. And yeah, I didn't want to go back. But I also realized that like my grades for that last semester were terrible. Um, and, you know, I was paying for boarding and I was also paying for tuition and that gets really expensive. And like the money that I had gotten from Cal Grant and the Pell Grant, they were it was gone for the, because of everything that um, I spent for that first year. So I'm like and, you know, my mom always instilled, you know, being very frugal with money. And I'm like, I can't stay here and justify, you know, just racking up a ton of money while I'm doing bad in school. Did you come up with a plan? Did you know what you were going to do next? No, I'm like, I, I, all these things were like reactive for me and were just like me thinking through where I am and where I wanted to be. So I knew I didn't want to be in huge debt. So I'm like, okay, I got to go back home. And, you know, one option that a lot of people like look down upon is going back to like community college. And I thought, well, you know, I could finish all my general eds, go back to community college and then figure it out and then transfer to another school. And I knew community college was way cheaper and it certainly was. So so I decided, you know, I'll tuck my tail behind my legs and, and go back home and find a job and um sign up to the local community college. How were you feeling at the time when you were ready to come home? I was sad because I felt like I failed. When, you know, you're in high school, all those years, they're they're just, you got to go to college, you got to do this, you got to do that. And, you know, this is going to set you up for a great life. And then to, to you know, steadily o- over the course of my time, they're like, do worse and then just feel worse. And I was like, I got to go back home. Even if I feel like a bit ashamed that I couldn't make it through here, I know that um, I know that I can, you know, create a better situation for myself by going back home. So we finally go pick you up to college. You come back home, but not really home because we actually end up moving from L.A. to Fontana. So now you're in a whole different city. Yeah. So, I mean, I didn't exactly move back home. It was all new to me. All that, you know, uh, Santa Ana winds and uh, 110 degree weather were all new to me. So you get to your new home. What do you do next? Um, So I started applying for jobs and I got a job at UPS and it was it was a great job because they had, you know, um, medical benefits and it paid well for a part-time job. So I'm like, okay, I can work part-time here and then go to school. And then I ended up applying um, to the local college, San Bernardino Valley College. And um, I, I think I went, I just, I didn't stop. Like I went, I kept going to quarter or semester after semester until I had all my gen eds done. Like I, I was just, I would go to school in the morning, in the afternoon, and then in the evening from like 5 to 11, I'd work at UPS at the Ontario Airport Hub. So you end up transferring out of community college, going to Cal State Fullerton. Why did you choose that school? The reason I applied to Cal State Fullerton, because they had 
um, a good econ program. And that's what I thought. That was my, my second major. So I went and I quickly realized um, while it wasn't that far from Fontana, like with no traffic, maybe it's supposed to be like a 45 minute drive. But all my classes were in the middle of the day. So that was um, two to three hour drives in gridlock traffic. And uh, I, I knew I couldn't do that for long and, and do well in school. So, so I quit my job at UPS and started looking for jobs near Fullerton and um, ended up getting a job at Costco. Um, and then I, I got a, a room. So I was renting a room from somebody who owned a house. They, you know, I had like two other roommates. So now I was in Fullerton, I had a job, I was going to school, and uh, you know, I was just grinding it out, being an econ major. So finally, it seems like everything's working out for you. Were you happier? I was happier. Um, you know, I would see my friends here and there, and I was, you know, I had my family now, so I, you know, that made things much easier. I was much happier. But I had this weird sense of urgency that, like, I, I had a fear that, like, if I didn't finish college, that I was going to end up working some sort of, like, manual labor job or some sort of retail job. And I knew I couldn't do that. Like, my, my personality and how I think, I wouldn't be happy there and I, I'd be miserable or make the people around me miserable. Why did you have this fear? Was it because you knew that no one was there to save you if you were to fail? Um... I, I don't I don't really know, but I, I, you know I th I think it was I think I had this sense that like home was still not home for me, and I think it all started to like go downhill when I was like around eleven or twelve. I remember my mom got signed me up for like a pee wee football league, and I was doing that, and I was enjoying it, and it was pushing me because it was like something strange and new to me. I didn't even know American football at the time, really. Um, and on the weekends, you know, when they'd have to drive you to certain cities to play other teams, my dad would, it would always be a burden for him to take me like, oh, you know, it's my weekend and I'm driving you around to another town. Or if I'd ask him for money because I needed something for school, not even, you know, to splurge on anything, he'd be like, he's like, where's the 20 bucks I gave you last time? It just kept getting worse and, um, worse than that. I just felt like everything I did was a burden to him. I couldn't talk to him. So like by the time I got to like being 15, anytime I had to talk to him, I would talk to my mom to relate to him. And that's how we spoke for years. I think all the way up into my 20s, I would never like directly speak to him. If I did, it was short. So do you think that you had the sense of urgency because you had no one to fall back on? You didn't want to ask anyone for anything. And you know, if you failed, that it was all on you because no one was going to back you up and come save you. Exactly. Like as soon as I turned 15 and I could get like a worker's permit, I did. And then every summer after that, I would get a job. Um, I'd make, you know, I'd save all my money and then I'd buy all my school clothes and anything that I needed for the next year. I remember you would even buy me stuff. <laughs> right. So, and I was really proud of that, you know, having that sense of ownership, knowing that I didn't have to depend on on my dad or ask him any uh, for anything. Like it felt good, but um in hindsight I realized that, you know, that's 
it wasn't good for me and and that's what led to me you know being depressed during uh my my junior year so we got sidetracked a little but you finally finish you graduate cal state fullerton you're walking across the stage how does it feel do you cry uh no i i was happy because it was you know it was a long journey i didn't finish my um my college career in the four years now you find out like it's pretty rare and those that do congrats to you you know you didn't waste a bunch of money Um, but but it took me longer than that. And, um, you know, that happiness was short lived because I didn't really graduate. So I walked. Right. But then um, I was waiting for my diploma and it, it didn't come. And I was like a couple months later. And so I reached out to the registrar's office and I'm like, hey, where's my diploma? I walked already. Hasn't come. And they're like, oh, you don't have enough credits for your diploma. I'm like, what? You're like, yeah, you have, you didn't do a lab and um, you need to complete that lab in order to uh, get your diploma. So I walked, but I still technically didn't, didn't, um, didn't graduate. So I had to sign up back for school and sign up for two classes. So um, for a lab, and then I forget what the, what the other one was, but to to just get that piece of paper. I think we failed to mention that you actually didn't end up being an econ major. So what did you major in? Oh yeah, I didn't cover that. We're going like all over the place. Um so yeah, so I did the econ thing and then I took um a course like intro to radio TV film. And it was cool and um they were talking about like uh how the first course was about like radio stations. And I'm like, my, I grew up with uncles who were like DJs. Um, and that thing always fascinated me. And I loved music. And I'm like, oh, working at a radio station and like, you know, programming all the music, that would be cool. And I'm like, the econ thing was easy, but it was boring. It, it was not stimulating. So, so as soon as I got into that class, I'm like, oh, and there's all these other courses and you could do film and editing. So, so I changed my major uh, then and got into the radio TV film program and took up a whole bunch of different production courses, you know, shot a couple short films on, on my own that were silly and funny <laughs> looking back at them now. But I was, you know, I was stretched thin because I was working almost full time. I think I was pulling like somewhere between 30 to 40 hours a week. And when I wasn't doing that, I was going to school and I had my classes like back to back to back. So whenever I would have a break, I would do my homework or um, I would study for whatever tests. So it, it was like on a, I was on a constant hamster wheel. Like, I think maybe I would have one day off. So you finally complete those two courses left to get the actual diploma, get your paper and... Did you already have a job in mind that you wanted to apply to? Did you have anything lined up? So I had done an internship with the Cartoon Network. And then I I might be screwing up this order, but whatever. Um, and then I did a second one with the Dr. Phil show, working in their like post-production team. So I was running around, scanning pictures of guests, um, running you know they would film a segment of like an interview with somebody and then i'd have to run it down so that they can um you know everything was on tape back then so you'd have to 
pop it in a tape deck, then they encode it, and then it would get on a computer, and then they could start editing it. So I was just running around doing those types of errands. If somebody wanted lunch, I'd go get them lunch. Um, in the meantime, I was applying to everywhere um, possible and not getting any responses. So, you know, uh, it's like almost going on a year. I, my internship finished. I was still working at Costco. They started cutting my hours at Costco. So now I'm dipping into savings to pay for my rent. So now that fear of having to move back home again is, is seeping into my head. And I'm like, I need to do something. Um, so I, I just kept applying and I started applying to job agencies. And I'm like, I'm living in Downey. Most of these jobs in, are in Hollywood and Burbank. Um, you know, it's not going to look great if I have a long commute. At least I thought. It didn't, it didn't really matter, but I didn't know. But I just thought that was the thing. Because on the, on the, um, the job ad, they'd say, you know, you must live within 20 miles or something like that. And I'm like, oh, shit. I live like 30 miles away. I don't know if I could do this. So, so I applied to this one job agency. Um, I used my girlfriend's address because she lived closer. And the the reason why the the recruiter picked me was because she recognized that city. She knew like El Sereno. So she's like, oh, whatever. So she's kind of do me, doing me a favor. So she's like, yeah, we're looking for, for somebody with post experience that speaks Spanish. I, I know you're going to laugh. <laughs> Yeah. Um, my Spanish has gotten progressively worse over the years, but you know, I understand it perfectly. I can write it pretty decently, but my speaking skills, I'm like, I, I think English first, Spanish second. So I kind of lied a bit uh, uh, there. Um, so she's like, yeah, we got this position. Uh, we think you'd be a great fit for it, but we need an answer by this, um, by the end of the week it was a temp job so it was like a three-month assignment um so i'm like okay if i get this temp job and i work and maybe i can get i can convince my manager at costco to let me work like only on the weekends and that way you know once the three month if if i don't get past the three-month assignment then i'll I still have a fallback so i walked into my manager's office and i told them about um you know the opportunity and they basically she gave me my walking papers there she's like fill out this fill out that she didn't even make it an option so so she kind of made the choice for me so so that was a huge risk and i'm i'm really like risk averse and i'm very you know just <laughs> based on everything i told you i played it super safe so that was really scary for me and but i took the leap of faith so that the job was at a, a big movie studio um 20th century fox so, so I, I jumped and, you know, signed the contract and, and started working there. And did you have to use Spanish while working there? Yes, I did. So they created a bunch of TV shows. So I was working in TV and they would dub those shows into different languages like Spanish and Portuguese. So one of my responsibilities was to make sure that we got the, the dubs on time and that if there was any mistakes, that I would call them out and have them fixed. So my manager quickly learned that I, I didn't have very good Spanish, but I figured it out. I figured out a kind of how to, ways to work around it and, and to get the job done. So since it was a temporary job, what happened after those three months? 
just to give you some more context. So I got there and I was working there for maybe like three to four weeks. And then my, my manager was like, oh, I'm going to El Salvador for a month. You have to take care of all my stuff. So I was like, what? So he basically dumped all his work on me and I had to figure it out. So I figured it out by like looking through all the orders, talking to all the vendors. I I managed to do it. I don't even, it's kind of weird now that I think about it. But like, I think that was the thing about me back then at that time. I was just like everything, I would just figure it out. Sink or swim. <laughs> exactly. So he came back and then I was there for about three months and luckily all my coworkers were like, you got to hire the guy. He's like, you have an open position. He's doing the job. He's doing a good job. Just, just hire him. So he kind of reluctantly hired me. It's like, doesn't feel great, but I didn't care because I was making more money than I ever had. I was actually, my, my college degree had paid off. I was afraid that it was just going to be, you know, some sort of decoration on, on my mom's wall. Like mine, <laughs> uh, you you're using it, um, yeah. So 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 I was really happy because like all all that time of like grinding um, had finally paid off, and I finally felt like I was in a safe place, and um, and you know it, it that that made all that like pain and suffering worth it. You know that whole journey worth it and now you know I, I again bad with time i think i'm 13 years into my career now um i've you know climbed up the ranks and learned a lot and have been you know part of like the change from like dvd to all these streaming platforms so um it's been a great ride so how long did you work for fox about 12 years before they and then they were bought by disney so then i worked for disney for a couple of years that is such an inspiring story. All the adversity you face, all the obstacles, all the setbacks. And look at you now, all these years later, doing what you love. So earlier you did mention that you struggled with some depression. When did you realize that you were depressed? Like what made you realize that? I, the, I think the first thing I started to notice was that nothing made me happy. Like... Ugh, I'm already getting teary. It's all right. This podcast, um, it's for crying. Like, it's a safe space to oh cry. Oh, God. I'm, I don't, I don't want to keep the street going. So, um, yeah, nothing made me happy. Like, all the favorite things that I like to do were, didn't make me happy. My favorite food didn't make me happy. Hanging around with my friends didn't make me happy. And then it started to, to manifest itself physically. So, I started to lose my hair so like i had these two patches in the back of my head of um what they call like alopecia just hair stopped growing in those areas and i i just felt like an alien in my own body and it started to freak me out i'm like what's wrong with me and um how old were you i had to be i i think around 16 yeah so um you know, I kept telling my mom, I don't feel right. Something's wrong. And so she took me to the doctor, I think a couple of times before one of the doctors suggested that maybe I try therapy. So, so I had my first therapy appointment. My mom came with me. She was in the room. I remember and, I was there too. 
<laughs> you were, I didn't even remember that. And then I, you know, started talking and they asked me some super simple questions and I just started crying, just like uncontrollably crying. And, you know, at that time, um, you know, my parents didn't have a great relationship. They were fighting over money all the time. We were living in my grandmother's house who had passed away. And all my mother's siblings were fighting over who should, who owns the house, who should be paying rent, how they should cut it, divvy it up. And just to add some extra spice on top of all of that, um, I had two uncles who were selling drugs um, out of the back house in, in that house. Yeah, that's a whole lot to unpack. Exactly. And meanwhile, um, you know, I'm supposed to be focused on doing well in my classes and getting good grades to go to college and just being a teenager and trying to figure that out right so i i had all all this stuff going around me and it started to affect me and i didn't realize it until that point so i i went to i remember going to the therapist a few times but i think the thing that really helped me was they put me on antidepressants um, they prescribed me prozac and then um, I also started going to group therapy sessions. So hearing that there was other people that were feeling like me and that I wasn't, you know, the one weirdo, that, that made a huge difference. So, um, but I think that those two combinations like helped me pull out of it and, and start doing well in school, even if like my environment wasn't the greatest. Um, that was enough to like set me back on a, on a decent course, but, but it also pushed me to, you know, know that my environment wasn't great and that I needed to get out of it. Did you ever open up to your friends about going through depression? Did they notice Did they ask anything? I, yeah, I told them, like I said, I, I really trusted them so I confided in them and they, they knew and they listened, you know? They, it's not like, you know, they knew how to deal with any of this, but they were there to, to lean on. And it's not like they, uh, they're like, oh, he's being strange or weird. They, they, they embraced me. You have some really good friends and you're very lucky that you had them because not everyone has someone to talk to, to be open, that will be accepting of whatever you're going through. In our culture especially, I know most of your friends are Hispanic and come from similar backgrounds as us. Their parents came here from Mexico and so on. But in our culture, therapy is not talked about, mental health is not talked about, especially in males. Because the machismo plays a huge role about you have to be a macho man, you have to be strong, you can't show feeling. When did you start noticing machismo when you were growing up? uh i i think i think that was like you know nine ten around around that time i just remember like you know we had a bunch of cousins and a bunch of families so whenever there'd be some sort of family event like all of my uncles and my dad would would be on their own or they would disappear sometimes and they'd be drunk and meanwhile, you know, uh, all the moms, including mine, would be chasing us around, making sure we ate, making sure that we were okay. And um, 
so that's when I really started to realize it. And like, I, I hated going to any kind of family event. Cause like, let's say it was a birthday for somebody, uh, some kid, um, the party was not about them. It was about the adults getting drunk and having fun. And that always drove me insane. And I hated it. And I didn't want to be there. And I let it be known. And I was just miserable the whole time that we would be at parties. Because I knew it would possibly lead to fights with my mom. I knew my dad would be like short-tempered. Um, drunk drunk driving was a huge thing i can't believe we never got in any accident because it was just like a normal thing for us um so we, we got lucky there um but yeah and that's that's when i first noticed it i think for us we had two sides of different family dynamics like my dad's side was the one that was more machista my mom's side was there was machismo here and there and to see both sides was really confusing for me as a kid how was it for you not not confused but i just i saw the difference and i knew it was wrong like i just knew like in my heart like these macho guys are not pulling their weight that they're rude that they're mean and for no reason like you know they had my aunts and my mom super great caretakers very loving always going out of the way you know even if it was bad for them they were always putting everybody else first um so i i really despised that i really hated it and you know i i knew that i never wanted to be that way myself since we grew up with a dad that was machista did you ever like try to ask him like why do you act like that or anything cuz i know i did but i don't remember if you ever did yeah yeah and it would always lead with me being very angry and with him just like laughing it off but i think he laughed it off because it was awkward and strange to him i've had so many dreams where i've like literally fought him in my dreams and and it was it was always so so infuriating because like it just felt like he was like a brick wall that i could not um get through or communicate with since you had such a bad relationship with our father do you think that affected you do you think every child needs a father figure i mean he was there physically but he was not there emotionally totally i i think it's imperative i i you know i have my own daughter now i didn't when you know 10 years ago i said i'd never get married and never have kids because of how i grew up because i didn't want you know, me to be responsible for somebody feeling as bad as I did when I was growing up. So, um, so yeah, I think it's, it's super important. And, you know, I looked up to two peoples. I had my uncle Johnny and my uncle Mondo. Sadly, my uncle Johnny got into drugs and selling them both, you know, and he went through a downward spiral. So I stopped looking up to him and there, my uncle Mondo, who we're super close with, he's, you know, always been a hard worker, um, goes out of his lengths to take care of his family, his his nephews, his nieces. He's he's just a, a great guy who really appreciates life and, and values his family. So he has always been my role model. 
So most of my listeners probably know the story. And if you've been listening to my podcast for a bit, you've heard about the relationship with my father and why it ended and his addiction problems. So for you being the firstborn, being the only male besides my dad, how was that like for you? Did you feel a sense of responsibility for the family? Yeah, I, I, I did feel responsible and, um, you know, um, and it, it was weird. Just like when I thought I had broken through and I had kind of, I was independent and standing on my own two legs, that my dad's addiction dragged me back into the family. Like, um, I remember that when I found out that he got fired from his job, it was Christmas. I was really excited. I'm like, what could I get for the family? So I'm like, oh, well, they got a big, old, heavy, crappy TV. I, I have a decent job. I can afford to buy a nice flat screen TV. So I packed this like 50 inch TV into my car. It barely fit. My coworker had to like help me like take it out the box and slide it in the back seat. And I was so excited and um you know wrapped it in the garage and then went home and then i remember coming for christmas and um that's when my parents told me that my dad had lost his job so that was just like it was strange because i didn't really understand everything at the moment but it just like took the wind out of my sails and then i started finding out about my dad's gambling addiction and then his drug addiction and then you know, I was I was always living very frugal. I had like three roommates. I was paying like how much was it? Like five hundred bucks for rent, which was nothing at that time. And I was making probably somewhere between like two and two thousand five hundred dollars. So my expenses were super low, but because I knew that my dad didn't have a job and you know that you and and Roxy were, were at home. I just started hoarding all my money. Like, I would feel guilty about going out. Um, and, you know, I started giving money to my mom. And then I remember, like, this went on for a long time. And then my dad reached out to me two times to pay the rent. He's like, we're two months behind on the rent. I need you to, to cover this. Otherwise, we're going to get evicted. The first time I was like, okay. Then the second time, it, that one really hurt because I knew he was still gambling and still, you know, doing things, doing drugs. And I'm like, why don't you go get help? You know, what are you, you know, why are you doing this to the family? And, um, and that one really hurt. And, and then, you know, uh, you know my mental health went, went downhill again during that time. So, so yeah, I felt that I had to take care of my family, that I had to be strong. And like, um, I was focused on work, but with that whole decline, when I would get home, I'd basically just fall asleep or have dinner and fall asleep. Like all my energy was spent on work. And then I was, I was basically like a shell of myself and because the family was um, experiencing all these issues, I wasn't confiding in, in them at all. Nobody knew this was going on. Um, 
And I thought I just had to suffer on my own um, and, and deal with it because the issues that you guys were dealing with was way worse than what I was dealing with. You were trying to minimize whatever you were going through since we were going through a lot. But at the same time, what you and I have both learned is that when you try to help everybody else, but you forget to help yourself, your mental health really, really declines. Yeah, and it, it got really bad. And this time the physical manifestation got even worse. I started having stomach problems. I lost like 20 pounds. And I thought it was a medical issue. And I kept going to doctor after doctor after doctor until one said, I think you should see a therapist. And then I started going to a therapist like biweekly. And, and that's, you know, again, that's what started to help me pull out of it some medication um, and got back on track and started, you know, peeling back all the layers of all the crap I had to deal with and why this was affecting me so much. So that was the, the, the turning point for me. So since now we do not have a relationship with our dad and we basically kind of cut him off because he was not respecting our boundaries do you feel like that has helped you a lot? Immensely, yeah. Once I was able to let go and completely cut him off, it felt like a huge cloud had lifted not only over me, but the rest of the family. I think I've shared this before on the podcast, but I recently just started feeling peace and it feels so weird because I'm like, why is nothing going on? Like, this is suspicious. It's kind of sad. Yeah, it, it's sad, but I mean... Um, you know, learn a lot of different skills to therapy. And like the first thing they tell you is like, like if you're in an airplane, there's turbulence and then one of the masks falls out, you have to put the mask on for yourself first. And that applies to, you know, issues with, with mental health and like toxic situations that you're in. You can't help everybody else if you're not taking care of yourself first. And, you know, you, people might judge you, they might say you're cold, they might say you're selfish, but it doesn't matter because it, you have to take care of yourself first in order to be able to help other people. If you're not in a good place, you can't help other people. It's, it's just not possible. Earlier, you said that you never thought you were going to have kids and that you never thought that you were going to get married. And now you have a baby and you're married. Do you think that Everything you went through growing up made you not want to have those things at the time until you were in therapy, healing, then you changed your mind? 100%. Yeah. And it was that all going through all that ter therapy and peeling back all those layers like, well, I didn't want to have, I didn't want to be married because I, you know, of, of the bad relationship I've seen that my mom and dad go through. And, you know, I was afraid, uh, I guess, of repeating that myself, repeating that cycle. And then I didn't want to have kids because I didn't want to hurt a kid like I was hurt when I was young. So, you know, therapy uncovered all those layers. And like, I, I still wasn't like, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go get married and have a kid now. No, I was still very kind of closed off. and But I was open to the opportunity if, like, the right person came into my life that I would be open to it and I would consider it. 
and that that was a huge change for me as a person like I feel like I was more like short and kind of robotic and kind of um temperamental before I started going through that therapy and then once um once I started going regularly it's like all these walls starting to fall down all those different personalities that I had started to just mesh into one like I don't need to separate all of these different worlds for me I I can you know I can expose people to to all all of my different sides to to my feelings and and you know be more honest about myself and not be ashamed about my background and um everything that I've gone through which is part of the reason why like I was you know um happy to jump on your podcast um cuz I I didn't realize what it would turn into but um Thank you. very <laughs> happy for you and and what you've done and and how um how how honest you have been about everything that you've gone through and realizing that it can help other people like I've I've since opened up more personally but I think now even more so um I I think I'm finally comfortable. This is kind of like a coming out party for me too. And it it feels good and I know there's, you know, through COVID and people talking about mental health in a real positive way now that if this can help another person that um, you know, I'm very happy to share my experiences with other people. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. I am so proud of my brother for opening up. I hope his story is inspiring. If you're feeling like you're stuck in a rut, keep going. Um, Your hard work is going to pay off. Look at him. He has been through so much, but he's happy in his career. He has his little family now, and he's a great brother. He's a great son and a great husband and a great dad. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Unbreakable Latina. I am on YouTube now, so go follow me there. I actually filmed a YouTube video talking about my podcast journey and just giving a couple tips on how to start a podcast. I didn't go too in-depth about starting a podcast because, honestly... I was so shy in front of the camera. I'm used to being behind the mic. Being in front of the camera for YouTube is totally different. But go subscribe to my YouTube channel and let me know what you guys think. The video should be going up sometime this week. Maybe tonight. I'm not sure. My brother is working on doing that for me. Thanks, brother. And I hope you guys have an amazing week. Bye. Thank you.